The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss how to market more efficiently. Joining us is Andrea Freyrier, who is the co-founder of Agile Sherpas, which is a firm that consults, trains, and educates the world's leaders on marketing agility. As early converts of Agile marketing, Andrea and her team know that Agile teams work better in less time with less stress. Sounds wonderful. And they love nothing more than seeing a team evolve from chaos to high performance. And today, Andrea is going to talk us through how to do higher quality work faster with less stress. Okay, here's my conversation with Andrea Freyrier, co-founder of Agile Sherpas. Andrea, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Very excited to have you on the show. We've had done a couple episodes talking about agility and some of the changes in processes for marketing. First off, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about your company and how do you think about what agile marketing is? I am, like you said, one of the co-founders of Agile Sherpas, and we go around and train marketing teams on how to translate agile principles and practices to work in our unique environments. We are marketers ourselves, and we love agile as a concept, but realize that it needs a little bit of adjusting to work for marketing since it showed up first in software development. So that's what all of our training and coaching and consulting focuses on is helping people make that conceptual leap and then also into the practical application. So it's not just about the theory. It's like day to day. What does this look like? So a lot of the transformations for marketing departments going into agility have to do with the mindset change. Let's just start off. How do you define what agile marketing is? You said it was a convert from software engineering for marketers. How do you define agile marketing? So there's a couple key points I think that marketers need to keep in mind. So much of it is about focus. It's about doing the right work at the right time and having a process that really forces us to identify what that impactful work is and then go execute it to completion in the most effective way possible before we move on to the next thing. And it's a good antidote to our tendency to chase shiny objects and to spread ourselves too thin. So it's this forced focus mechanism that also as the kind of partner to that 
is this continual iteration. So we went and we did high value work quickly, but we also have built into our process the requirement to come back to that, to revisit it, evaluate its effectiveness or lack thereof, and then adjust it going forward based on that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the process of agility. But before we get there, I think it's important to juxtapose this against what is not agile. So if people are making a transition to agile, what are they transitioning from? Old, boring, traditional? What are the processes people have now? Traditional is a good way to put it. The sort of pre-agile world tends to focus on upfront planning. We want to make the most beautiful, complete, highly documented marketing plan that we can, and then go follow that to the letter as closely as possible for the rest of the year. It doesn't take into account the inevitable volatility and change and uncertainty of the digital world we all live in. And so Agile is designed to allow us to be responsive to that kind of environment without running around with like chickens with our heads cut off. So I guess there's two things that you'd be moving away from if you're moving towards agility, static marketing, building a marketing plan, assuming that you have it right, going to market, crossing your fingers and hoping it works. And the other end of the spectrum is total effing chaos <laughs> where you don't know what you're doing and you're just running around trying to do everything and you don't really have a plan or a way to evaluate the effectiveness of what you're doing. I've worked in marketing teams that have had both of those strategies. It's extra fun when they both happen at the same time. <laughs> I will say that some of that was my fault. And with marketing maturity and experience, you sort of learn to understand what is the priority. And part of that for me has just happened out of trial and error in intuition of knowing, okay, we need to accomplish marketing foundation, channel validation, then scale, and you're running tests to try to understand if you have those sort of big milestones accomplished. Other than, hey, I screwed it up a bunch. Now I kind of have an idea of how to be effective and be agile and learn on the fly. Talk to me about some of the processes that you are advising your clients to take on that helps them A, avoid chaos and B, not be too rigid. There are some basic concepts, basic practices that no matter what ultimate agile framework you find yourself in, these things will serve you very well. Uh, it starts with visibility. What are we working on? Is that the right stuff? And it's a simple backlog, right? A prioritized to-do list of upcoming work. If people are just getting started, we try to keep them focused on the upcoming three months that's usually going to be tied to a larger annual marketing vision, so to speak. But this is more of the project level work that's coming up for the next three months. And then to prioritize it, because it could all theoretically start tomorrow, but is that probably not the best and most efficient way to action all of those items. And so prioritizing that backlog and just getting all the work out there usually reveals a huge amount of waste or repetitive effort especially if you have siloed groups that don't really know what each other is doing. And once we have the backlog, then we move into more of the workflow visualization of what's in progress, what stages are things going through, where are things getting stuck, how often do we get to move things to done, and that alone, just what should we be working on and what stage is it in, reveals so many opportunities for future improvement that sometimes that's all you need, especially if you're a smaller 10 or 20 person marketing department, that's a powerful mechanism to put in place in and of itself. 
I think there's an important thing to highlight here is that, you know, we're talking about moving away from a big, hairy, scary strategic marketing plan that you spend a lot of time building and then execute. Built into agility, you do have the notion of a long-term strategy where you're, let's say, have a yearly plan. You're breaking it down by quarter and really focusing on the next quarter. And it seems like the next stage is really about documentation, just building the laundry list of the things that you can do. Am I thinking about this the right way? Is it, hey, let's talk about what we could do this quarter and then figure out what we're going to do? Or what's the actual process there? Yeah, the quarterly session is the things we want to do. We believe these are going to be the most impactful pieces of work. And then those get delivered farther down to the people who are actually going to execute them. And then they're getting into the real nitty gritty of what steps have to happen to achieve a successful execution of that project or piece of work. So things kind of break into smaller and smaller parts as they move closer to getting done. And so, yeah, we start with the annual vision and then we go down kind of trickling down to smaller pieces until people can start executing them. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. So I mentioned in the introduction that we were going to talk about how to do higher quality work faster and with less stress. Truthfully, here at the MarTech podcast and the podcast network that we're building, without realizing it, we're following your instructions to a T. We come up with a yearly plan. We discuss it at the end of every month of what our yearly plan is. We use Asana to track out our quarterly goals. We have a project management tool in Airtable that sort of lists out what we're doing in terms of our content production. We're documenting things relatively well, but at times it feels very stressful being able to manage all of this and understanding what the priorities are. We always want to work faster. Obviously, we always want the quality of our work to be high. How does moving towards agility and and maybe what are we missing in terms of living a stress-free work life and how could we be working with more quality and more efficiency? 
this is where we get back to that focus that I was talking about before. So my preferred means of achieving that with the teams I coach and then with our team at Agile Sherpas as well is to institute what are called WIP or work in progress limits. And these are hard ceilings on how many activities a team or an individual can be doing at any given moment in time. So on Agile Sherpas, for instance, we have a core team of four people. Each of us has a whip limit of two. We can only be doing two things at any given time. If I want to start a new thing, I have to finish one of them. It has to go all the way over to done before I can pull a new thing in. And it's quite painful. Every day, I wish it was higher. But it's an idea from the Kanban framework whose reason for being is to force us to stop starting and start finishing. So you mentioned the Kanban framework, just in case people aren't familiar with that term. I think of Kanban as like the Trello board where you have multiple stages where you're saying whether something is not a priority, a priority, a work in progress, something that's in QA and something's finished and you drag it through this funnel, very similar to marketing. Am I thinking about that the right way? Yeah, that's a Kanban board. It's one component of the Kanban framework. There are other more perhaps advanced aspects of it that a team would be expected to incorporate as they get more comfortable using Kanban boards. Whip limits is another aspect. So you've got those stages, those different workflows. So you might say, we can only have three items in progress. We can only have four items in QA. So those would be your work in progress limits for each stage. So your team has two work in progress. I'm trying to wrap my head around that because I feel like I'm doing about 45 things at once. Off the top of my head, on any given day, I'm doing ad sales, I'm doing content recording, I'm managing my team, I'm working with our editors. Woe is me. I've got a lot on my plate. (laughs) By the way, my wife is eight months pregnant and we're about to have our second baby and we've been building a house for three years. That feels like more than two things. Yes. And to be clear, I'm not saying you can only do two things a day. You can only do two things right now. And it's the painful reality of our limited human brains that we actually can only do one thing at a time. And when we try to do more than that, when you try to do everything at once, what happens is all those things take up more time because we end up wasting a lot of our time switching back and forth between those various tasks. I worked for a productivity email to-do app called Handle, rest in peace. It was a beautiful system. And the idea was understanding that you should be working on your task list and focusing on the things that matter the most. And that framework and understanding that you can only really work on one thing and be able to focus is important. The notion of context switching is what we described it as, where there is pain associated with bouncing from one thing to the other in your head, Mm -hmm. and it slows you down. You lose six minutes of time when you bounce from, I'm going to do content recording, to now I need to get into my inbox and respond to sponsors, right? Like, there is loss instead of me just doing the same thing over and over again. It seems like multitasking would help you be more efficient. Why isn't that the case? That's exactly what you're saying is there's mental costs that you pay for switching and you can literally only work on one thing at a time. It's what 2% of the population has the mental capacity to, they call them super taskers now that can actually hold more than one thing in their head. There's an online test. If you think you're a super tasker that you can go take and you can fail and then 
just accept that you're not in that 2% because we all secretly think we are. I don't need to take the test. I can already tell you. Yeah, we all are. But I'm right there with you. Like I run a business. I traveled 30 weeks last year. I wrote a book. I have small kids. Like there's a gazillion things I could be doing right now, but it's a matter of forcing that focus on the most important and impactful thing. And we have to create a ceiling for ourselves, which is what whip limits force us to do, because otherwise we don't have the discipline, most of us, to stay true to the, I'm going to finish this thing before I start on another thing. So why is it that you have a whip limit of two? I just always be a whip limit of one. So the general rule of thumb, at least for starting out with a whip limit, is twice the number of people who could work on that thing. So if we're a content team of two, you and I are a content team of two, we might have a whip limit of four on our content creation workflow, because you and I have a higher whip limit as a team of two than me as an individual person. Okay. I mean, I'm still a little fuzzy because I can only work on one thing at a time and you can only work on one thing at a time. But in theory, there's four things that we're setting a limit for ourselves. I think in reality, it's just, hey, look, you're going to do some context switching. Let's not kid ourselves. Yes. It's human nature. That's exactly it. It's a pragmatic realization that it would be great if I could have a whip limit of one. But if I'm writing a blog post this morning and I get burned out on it and I need to stop and go answer email or plan for my next training trip or whatever it is, that blog post is still in progress. It's not done, but I need to go and work on something else. And it's actually a good break for me to move on to something else. But if I start gathering my training supplies for my next trip, now I'm at two and I have to either finish gathering training supplies or finish the blog post before I start something else. So I should put the vacuum away and just focus on the podcast. Maybe. Whatever you need to do. Good deal. Well, that's the pains of working from home. Okay. So you have a whip limit, right? You're trying to lower the number of things that you're doing at any given time. Helps you avoid context switching. Helps you keep your sanity. What are some other ways that you can work with higher quality? And honestly, the big concern for me, how do you work with less stress? The whip limits help with stress a ton. At more of a team level, everybody's heard of sprints in the agile world. Scrum framework and the sprint, the short little time boxes of work. That's another similar mechanism that is supposed to be, sometimes it gets messed up and doesn't do its job, but sprints are supposed to do a similar thing as whip limits, which is to create focus for a team to say for the next week or two, this chunk of work is all we're focused on. And until it's done, we're not taking anything new. And to be able to kind of put up walls around a team and say, sorry, sales director, sorry, VP, these are the things we've committed to achieve in two weeks. You're going to go at the top of the list and we'll start on that as soon as we can after the sprint is over. But it creates that protection and that focus within the team to allow them to do paradoxically more by committing to less. The whole idea of Agile is that you're able to be flexible, that you're able to work on what's most important at any given time. And a lot of it is setting limits on what you're going to work on and setting sort of a very rigid area of focus. So how are you being Agile if you're saying, hey, VP, buzz off, <laughs> sales guy, forget you. I'm not going to focus on what's most important, even if they have a fire screaming problem. When you're like, nope, I just need to focus on my content right now. I need to finish that blog post and get ready for my trip when the sky might be falling with one of your teams. Walk me through how agility doesn't turn into rigidity. So depending on the type of work that a team does, 
Like we coach some teams that they have PR responsibilities. Something's going to catch on fire or there's going to be an opportunity that it would be a bad idea. It would not be working on the highest value work for them to ignore that, even if it comes up in the middle of a sprint. So we can leave some buffer, right? So if we think we could finish 12 things over the course of our sprint, let's only plan 10 so that we can proactively take in those incoming ideas and be that kind of responsive version of Agile, even while we are focusing on the tasks we committed to for the sprint. So absolutely, that flexibility does need to be in there. And the other great thing about like a sprint, for instance, is it's one or two weeks long. It's very short. So unless it is a legitimate screaming fire drill, we should be able to put it off. We get into this mode as marketers, especially of being helpful to everyone. And we say yes to everything. And then our to-do list just grows and grows and grows. Nobody gets what they want from us. And we are stressed to the max. And it's bad for everyone. It's bad for our stakeholders and us and our (laughs) spouses who have to deal with us when we come home. So being able to say not right now to things that are not legitimately high priority business value adding activities is better for everybody involved in the whole system. At the end of the day, it is a system and no system is without faults. And what matters is how much you're able to interpret the data that's coming in and be able to be iterative to make the right decisions. I think the reason why agility is so important to marketers and why it's been so effective mostly recently is that it streamlines your focus, right? It allows you to understand what your actual capacity is and like you said, work on the most important work at any given time as opposed to just taking on endless tasks and getting bogged down with the never-ending inputs. You get to focus on what you want the output to be. Yeah. Honestly, agility in the way that we know it now would not have been possible before digital marketing. You could not be responsive and iterative when you're only doing television campaigns and billboards. There's no opportunity to rapidly turn around these kinds of updates that we can do to a digital campaign. So taking the inputs that we have from a data-driven perspective and then using them to build the next sprint to refine your backlog and move new items up to the top as we learn about what's working and what's not, this allows us to be responsive to hard data as opposed to falling back on you know, the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion, just whoever's shouting at us the loudest, which isn't going to get us where we want to be as a profession or as a team. So talk to me about the last part in the process here, which is evaluation. When you are trying to focus on the most important work, you're setting your whip limits, you're working on your sprints, you're really focusing what you should be working on to make sure that it is the most impactful. How do you figure out if you are aiming in the right places and how do you make sure that your process is working? Leadership is super important in an agile environment and it gets overlooked a lot in the focus on the execution team. But particularly in marketing, it's vital to have a group of people looking at that strategic mid and long-term point of view. So when we coach teams, we put together what we call a strategy group. And it's usually the leaders of various teams who come together as often as we can get them daily, if we can, to make sure that the team's work is laddering up to these bigger things and that incoming data is being accounted for emerging threats and opportunities are reflected in the team's priorities. But we try to free up the doers of work from worrying about that. All they need to worry about is quality, efficiency, and effectiveness of the activities they're asked to do. And then we have strategic leaders who are saying, 
this is the right work to do. Don't worry about that. You just go do it to the best of your ability. Okay. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about the ways and the resources to use to make sure that the work you're doing is not only efficient, but evaluated correctly by your management. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Andrea Fry-Rear, co-founder of Agile Sherpas, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Andrea is going to discuss the technology that supports agile marketing. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Andrea, you can click on the link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send her a tweet. Her handle is Andrea Fry-Rear, A-N-D-R-E-A-F-R-Y-R-E-A-R. Or you could visit her company's website, which is agilesherpas.com. She also has a personal website, andreafryrear.com. Just one link in our show notes that I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to our new website, MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D. We have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is MartechPod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, basically everywhere. And you can write me directly at BenJShap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Andrea Freyrear, the co-founder of Agile Sherpas, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.